Well, good morning, church. Pastor Brandon here with you. I'm the lead pastor at Austin Oaks Church. Um, thank you so much for allowing us into your home this morning or wherever you are at. We are truly honored that you would do that. We are humbled that you would do that, that you would allow us to share with you God's word. We pray that your heart would be open and receptive to this. Our heartbeat as a church is to be simply all about Jesus, and we want to help people meet, know, and follow Him. And that's why I'm going to start out this morning by sharing with you one of the phrases that I often use here in, from this pulpit. And the phrase is this, the problem in our lives isn't that we don't love God enough. The problem is, is that we just don't know how much God loves us. So often we focus on how my love for God falls short, and we try to find the remedy to that, where we think that somehow I can do this. Like, if I love God more, then God would do this. But the reality is, we can't do that. Like, we, we fail in our thinking if we think somehow God's love for us is predicated or based upon how I love Him. If I do this, then God will do this. That's, that's not what the Bible teaches us. That's not even what like, people encourage us to do in the Scriptures. We're encouraged to know how much He loves us. And when we remember that, when we get rooted and based into the gospel of what Jesus has done, the good news that He came and saved us, rescued us, moved us from death to life, right? when we remember that we were His enemies, we were sinners, and He came and He died for us, when we remember how much He loved us, it does something fundamentally in our hearts. When I think about what happens to us when we focus on our love for Him, when we try to muster it up, we start to get ourselves in this frenzy where we're just like, well, I don't know if He's good. I don't know if He's going to be loving to me. I don't know if He's going to be faithful to me. So I think that if I were to do this, then God would do this. I'm telling you, that influences how we pray, that influences how we see church, that influences how we worship Him. That influences us if we weren't even to tell people about Jesus or not. And when I was thinking about this, if we focus on trying to get our love for God right, I'm telling you, like, it, it reminded me of a pinata. Now, I, in my opinion, pinatas are extremely ridiculous. The whole thought of a pinata, is, is, it, it, it's actually quite humorous to me, right? So we're going to put a blindfold on a, on a kid specifically most, most oftentimes a kid, put a blindfold on them, give them a bat, club, a stick, whatever it is, some sort of weapon, put it in their hands, spin them around 10 times, and have this paper mache thing on a rope and have somebody yank on that rope and move it around in hopes that this kid who is blindfolded, who is now dizzy, who's holding a weapon, can hit the pinata. And if he hits it enough, and if he hits it hard enough, then all the goodies will come out. Now, I'm telling you, okay, pinatas are, are, are fun, but not for the one who's actually doing the swinging. They're fun for everyone else, honestly, because we get to watch the person swing wildly and miss and look ridiculous and get frustrated and all that kind of stuff. It's entertaining for the onlookers, really. And not only that, the onlookers are the ones who really get the benefits of the pinata because the one who hits it and breaks it open, they don't get the first dibs at all the goodies that come out. It's the onlookers that do. And in fact, the one who hit it oftentimes doesn't even get anything. You know, and also, like, let's just be honest, you got to be careful because you actually might be the victim of that poor kid's 
club. You might get smacked by this. Now, as I was thinking about the pinata and how sometimes we so often try to focus on my love for God and I got to get myself to love him more, to, to be better for him, all this kind of stuff. Like, I saw this thing is like, this is no different than, than trying to solve this problem by ourselves, right? How, how different is this, like this pinata, the effort to hit the pinata and bust it open and get what we want? It's no different than trying to get God to love you for God to be good to you, to somehow be favorable for you, for him to forgive you, to bless you, right? To move in your life, to somehow convince it, convince God that he's worthy, like you're worthy of his love. So let's put a blindfold on us and let's spin us up and try to hit this pinata and try to get all the goodies to come out of God, to get God to do what we want him to do based upon how I act and how I live. Listen, the problem isn't that we don't love God enough. Apart from God, we will never be able to even love God. The problem is, we don't know how much He loves us. And that's why Paul, we've been talking about this in the first two chapters and even the beginning part of chapter 3 of just going through the gospel. He was reminding the church in Ephesus of the mystery that is now revealed, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that takes someone who is dead in their sin, that is completely helpless to do anything completely lost, under the wrath of God. While we were dead in our sins, He's the one who made us alive. He sent His Son because He loved us to take our place, to die our death, to take the penalty, to have His bloodshed so that He could buy us back to move us into this life. And not only that, to restore and reconcile broken relationships in humanity, to take groups of people that are divided by hostility and differences and to create one new humanity. This is the gospel and it's motivated out of his love for us. It's his love that propels us forward. When we focus on our deficiencies, when we focus on how we fall short, when we focus on how my love for God is not enough, let me try to get that right, folks. That's what I call the pinata faith. You focus on the wrong things. You swing wildly, say, God, look, look what I'm doing, look what I'm doing, and you hope to hit the mark, and you hope to hit it hard enough that somehow then God will respond. But that's not how God is. And this morning, I want to tell you, okay, that there is a way to know if you relate to God like a child swinging wildly at a pinata or not. And the best way to know if that is you or if it's not, that if you're focusing on your deficiency of love for God or if you're focusing on His love for you, you can tell best by looking at your prayer life. The words that come out of you. Because listen, your prayer life reflects your theology. It reflects how you see God. It reflects what you believe about Him. Your prayer life will reveal your ambitions and your desires. Your prayer life will make crystal clear what your chief anxieties are. Your prayer life will reflect if you are living in guilt and shame or if you're living in the freedom of the Spirit. Your prayer life will reflect if you have a thankful spirit or a grumbling spirit, so on and so forth. Look at your prayer life because, listen, your prayers express your desires.
Just look at that. Now, I, 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 don't downplay what I'm telling you, okay? Don't downplay this because we have to understand something, and Paul has set this up. Our theology fuels our relationship with God. What we believe about God influences how we worship Him, how we relate to Him, which is our highest and greatest purpose in this life. And how you worship God leads directly to how you will live for God. Revelation leads to worship. Worship leads to ethics. Orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy. Another way of saying it is your belief determines your behavior. We need to come back to the basics and go, what do I really believe? Look at your prayer life. And the reason why I'm saying that is because in this text, what we're going to study this morning, what we're going to look at this morning is Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus, which God has used and has shown us to be his prayer for the church at large for all time. This is extremely important because Paul's prayer is based out of a response to the gospel. There is great urgency in this prayer. There is great power in this prayer. And I'm telling you right now, there is great need for this prayer today. So let's look at this. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. This prayer, friends, this prayer makes it crystal clear that the greatest pursuit in our lives as a people who follow Jesus, our greatest pursuit is to know how much God loves us. L like, listen, your greatest pursuit is to know how much God loves you not to fix your deficiencies. It's to know how much He loves you because out of that comes a compelling force and empowerment through His Spirit to love Him. We love because He first loved. We can't get the cart in front of the horse. This is our greatest joy. And what Paul is letting us know is that the only way, the only way that we can comprehend the love of God is through the power of the Holy Spirit together with the church. We said this last week, we cannot downplay the importance of the church. The church was God's strategic vehicle to show off the multicolored, multifaceted, the manifold wisdom of God to not just to the world around us, but also to the cosmic realm, the, the heavenlies, as it were. And now he's also praying, he's like, listen, you can't know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge 
on your own effort. You need the power of God to do this, but not only that, you can't, you can't discover this love on your own. It has to be together with all of the saints, with the church, the new community, the new humanity that he's created and is still building today through the gospel. We have to grab hold of this. This prayer is of utmost importance to Paul because after this, he's going to move into action. He's going to move into ethics like Okay, church, this is how then you should live in light of the gospel. But in this moment, this prayer is an act of worship of Paul. He's worshiping him. He's interceding on behalf of the church. That's why he comes back like, for this reason, I bow right there in verse 14. Remember we said last week when he said, for this reason in verse 1, you know, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then he goes on this tangent to remind them about the mystery that God revealed to him. Now he picks his train of thought up here. He's like, for this reason, because of the gospel, because of what he has done, all that he has done, his riches of kindness, his, his infinite love, the fact that he tore down the wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile and made one new humanity through one blood, because of this, for this reason, as a result of this revelation, I am bowing my knee before the Father in heaven, from whom all families get their name from. I am bowing. Now listen, like this is important for us. You see, Jews, when they pray, their normal posture is standing. It's not bowing. It's not kneeling. That's, that's not their normal posture. In fact, the only time we really see Jewish people kneeling before the Father is when there is like great desperation or great earnestness or when they feel a sense of urgency for a certain request. And this is the picture. Paul's like, listen, church, I am praying with great fervency because this is of utmost importance. I am bowing my knee before the Father in heaven. What we see in Paul's intercession, right, is the same thing that happens to us when we reflect on his grace. Worship starts to stir up inside of us because that's what revelation does. When we get to know a little bit more about who God is, it stirs something inside of us. And that's what it means in John 4 when Jesus said that true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. We worship knowing the truth and it's connecting with the truth of the Spirit of God inside of us. It causes humility and gratitude. It forces us to focus on Him. And Paul's like, listen, this is what the church needs. The church doesn't need to focus on itself. It needs to focus on Him. The church needs to stop swinging wildly at a pinata. It needs to believe that God loves the church. It loves people. Beyond knowledge, he's on his knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That is not just a nice little description. That's a gospel truth. It's a reminder that not only God is creating new creations individually, but that he created a new humanity, the church. We are one, one family, because we have one Father, one, we all have equal access to the Father. 
We are all adopted. We were all dead in our sins and now made alive. We are heirs with Jesus, not just here on earth, but also in heaven. He's driving home the point that we, right, all people, all colors, all ethnicities, all economic statuses, we are all one in Him and one with each other. This means we are one blood, one new humanity through Jesus. I bow my knees before the Father, our Father together. But not only that, this is an important little piece too that we can't neglect. The fact that Paul is kneeling with great earnestness and boldness before the Father reveals to us that Paul has this humble confidence. He's praying before the Father in heaven. Like, think about this. Paul knows, he even said this in Romans 8, that if the Father gave us his Son, would he not also give us all things? Jesus taught us in the Gospels, right, that us earthly fathers, we know how to give good gifts to our children. Right? If our son asks us for bread, we're not going to give him a rock. Right? And Jesus says, like, if you fathers know how to give good gifts to your children and you're inherently evil, how much more would the Father in heaven give the Spirit to those who ask? How much more? We were told even in scriptures that we, because of Jesus, we can boldly approach the throne of grace in our time of need. We are taught, Jesus taught us to pray, that when we pray, pray our Father, which is a reference point. It's a reminder. It's an act of worship going, I'm addressing Him, and I know who I am, and I know who He is. Paul is praying with confidence. I'm praying, I'm bowing before our Father in heaven, that according to His riches of glory, out of the infinite supply of His goodness and His love, out of those riches that he would answer this prayer. Like, Paul's like, you want to know what is on my mind constantly for you, church? You want to know what is the most important thing for you, church? Listen to this prayer. That's basically what he's saying. He's going to show us some of the most important things that we can pray for. And dare I even say, some probably the most important thing we can be praying for right now as a church in our time, in our culture, in our society. So let's unpack this. And we need to slow down because this is one of those things that if you read it really fast, it's like, well, this is a mouthful. I don't even know how to understand this. Strengthened with the Spirit by my inner being through His inner being, rooted and grounded in love through... It just, it just gets a little bit confusing. So we just need to slow down. Okay, we need to slow down because these are like these. There's going to be four things that he's going to pray for, and these four things, these four like aspects, they guide us, they empower us, they place us in a right posture to know and to receive the love of God, to understand who He is, to understand what He has done, and how that would lead us to worship Him. So let's look at this, verse 16. that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you. Like, I, I want you to circle or underline or just make a note, memorize this, this word grant. He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
this word grant is extremely important, right? It comes back to the same phrase that I said right at the beginning. The problem isn't that we don't love God enough. It's that we don't know how much God loves us. By the fact that Paul's praying and, and appealing to the Father that he would grant us should tell us clearly that there's nothing we can do to get Christ to dwell in our hearts. There's nothing that we can do to get ourselves rooted and grounded in love. Nothing that we can do on our own, in our own power, in our own effort to know this love that surpasses knowledge. He has to grant it to us. That's grace. And Paul is praying to the Father with great urgency. God, would you grant them to be strengthened through your spirit so that Christ would dwell in their hearts, in their inner beings, by faith. That's what he's praying for. He, God, would you do this? this? Like, I want you to think about this for a moment. There is no one else, okay? There is no one else in this world that loves you like God loves you. No one else. No one. There's no one who loves you like God loves you. His love for you is not predicated on your behavior. It is not predicated on your failures and your mistakes. It's not none of that. He loves you because he loves you. That's who he is. He created you. He loves you. Would he not then grant this to us? Would he not? I have a hunch that God will always say yes to this prayer. How much more would the Father give you the Spirit? Jesus told us that. That's a promise. We're also told in Scripture that you have not because you ask not. We are trying to get the goodies of the piñata. We want what we want based upon how we go about doing it. But the reality is, is we can't do this. We need Him. We need to ask the Father, God, would you grant us this? Would you grant us the ability to be strengthened with power through your spirit inside of us, in our hearts, so that Christ may dwell, take up residence, to have greater and greater influence in our lives through faith. I do not believe for one second that God would ever deny us this prayer. I believe that this is the prayer that we should be praying right now. God, would you grant us? Would you grant my family? Would you grant our church? Would you grant the churches in the city and in the nation? God, would you grant our nation and our world? Would you grant us this? Would you give it to us? He's praying and asking that we would be strengthened with power so that Jesus would permeate our whole being, that he would take up residence in every area and every facet of our lives. How are we to be strengthened with power? The only way is through his spirit. Where are we to be empowered? In here, our inner being, our heart, the control center of our lives. Why are we to be strengthened? so that Jesus may take up more and more of our heart, that Jesus will have greater influence over every area in your life. I pray 
I bow before the Father that God would grant you to be strengthened with power so that Jesus reigns and rules over your heart, that He would permeate your whole being. Yeah, but Brandon, like I thought the Bible taught us that we have the Spirit and we have all of this already in us who believe, which is absolutely true. We do. But yet, we are also called to be filled, to be continually filled with the Spirit. We are called to grow into maturity. We are called to work out our salvation. So there is a level of responsibility on our end. There is some sort of degrees. It's a maturation process. Like we, we, there's, there's things inside of us that where we still have to, to grow. We still have to get rid of certain weights that slow us down. There's still sin in our lives that we have to confess and work out and work through. And this is why we say often here that we've got to preach the gospel to ourselves to remind us of the starting point, to remind us of His love, this mystery that He made known because it's out of that revelation that leads us to worship and it's worship that leads us to right behavior. Now, don't overthink this, okay? Because our life is relational at its core. In fact, we, we know this probably more than ever now because our relationships have been stifled due to the pandemic. But our life is primarily relational, and relationships, folks, take time and investment. I mean, I can't tell you how I fell in love with my wife. I, I, I can't say that I had a formula. Like, I did this, and I did this, and then this, so that I knew I would fall in love. I, I can't tell you how it happened. It just sort of happened, right? But I put myself in the right positions to know her more, Right? Like some people would say maybe I was stalking her on campus when I first met her. Yeah, I probably was because I was interested in her. Something inside of me was drawn to her. I liked her. But the more I got to know her, the more time I spent with her, somehow, some way, I fell in love with her. And still to this day, I fall in love with her more and more and more. It's the same thing with God. Right? He's the one that causes us to love Him. But yet we need to put ourselves in the positions where we can know him more. We have to do what we have to do. But we got to remember this. It's not because of our effort that somehow we earn more of God's love. It's we realize and know more of his love. And the more we know of his love, the more we're wanting by faith, putting our trust in him for Jesus to permeate our whole lives. Now, as we do that, look what happens next. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. You being rooted and grounded in love. As we are strengthened by the Spirit in our inner being, as Jesus permeates more and more of us, of our hearts, we grow roots deep into his love and our foundation becomes sure in his love. This is a beautiful image, okay? Think about this. Roots and foundations, both are things that are unseen. They're both below the surface. They are foundational, fundamental to our stability and our security. A tree, security and its growth, is entirely based upon the health of the root system. That's what this image is saying. It's like as we are strengthened in our inner being through the Spirit, and as Jesus permeates more and more, 
our roots are going to go deeper into the love of Christ. And as our roots get deeper in the love of Christ, our lives become way more secure, way more solid. And not only that, because of what's being rooted upon, certain fruit in our lives gets produced. The things that we desire start to show up. We can't make that happen. We just have to root ourselves in His love through the power of His Spirit. That's security. So let me ask this question. Like I said before, our prayer lives reveal. It reveals what we believe. Okay? Let me ask you. Do you feel and know that you are secure in the love of Christ? Don't give me the quick Sunday school answer. Just, just don't do it. Don't give me the right answer. Do you truly believe that? Do you truly pray out of that security? Do you worship Him out of that security? Do you live your life out of that? Do you know that it, like even the Bible tells us in Romans 8, and I just got to read this, right? Like there's nothing. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Name something. Can anything? Tribulation? Distress? Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Danger? Sword? An election? A pandemic? Can anything? Can your own sin? Your own shame? Your own guilt? Your own self-perceived value? Can any of this separate you from the love of Christ? Absolutely not. We know that academically, but how many of us actually know this subjectively, like experientially? Do you live out of that security? Are you rooted in His love? Is your life built upon the foundation of His love? Or are you still trying to earn His love? Because if you're trying to earn His love, there is no security in that. Absolutely none. His love for you, friends, listen. His love for you doesn't ebb and flow. It doesn't change. It's constant. It's eternal. It comes from the overabundance, limitless, boundaryless, boundary. What, I don't even know how to say the word. Without boundaries. That's His love for you. And nothing will ever change that. You can't get yourself there. You put yourself in the position, the posture of worship, so that by His Spirit, He can strengthen you in your inner person so that Jesus can permeate more of your being. And as He does that, then you become rooted and grounded in His love. Now let's read on. Verse 18 and 19. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I mean, like, just look at these words here. May have strength. Like, we need strength. We need His strength, His power to even comprehend 
his love, to even like grasp his love. His love is like unlike anything else in this world. We need his strength to comprehend this and we need to do it together. Like his love is limitless. It's without dimension, right? We are loved with this ever, um, everlasting love. John Stott, one of my favorite scholars, he, he wrote, wrote, the, wrote um, a description on this this way. He said, his love is broad enough to encompass all mankind. It's long enough to last for eternity. It's deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner and high enough to exalt that sinner to heaven. We can't understand this limitless love apart from God's power. God must grant it. And again, let me ask, do you think the Father would deny this request? Do you think like if you pray, Father, give me the strength to comprehend your love that God's going to go, yeah, no. No, I, I don't. I don't want you to know me. I don't, I don't want you to love me. How ridiculous is that? He sent his son to the cross. The forever tangible expression of his love. And that's just a glimpse of his love. You think he's going to say no? Of course he's not going to say no. We cannot grasp this limitless love on our own. We need his strength and his power to do this. But not only that, we need the church. We need each other, the new community, the new humanity that Jesus is building in order to comprehend this love. Yes, I know what you're, some of you are thinking. Yes, you can experience some of the love of Christ on your own. Absolutely, you can. I'm not saying that you can't experience the love of Christ on your own. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is, is that your understanding of his love is going to be limited to your limited experience. You only have your story. You need other people. You need to serve other people. You need to allow other people to serve you. You need to love people who aren't like you. You need to see how God changed and transformed their lives. You need to remember that they were a sinner just like you were a sinner, and they were dead in their sins just like you were dead in their sins, and that He's the one who made us all alive, that He adopted all of us, that we all have equal access to the Father without distinction. Like we need to see this together. We need to worship together. We need to pursue Jesus together. All backgrounds, all colors, all cultural distinctions because we're one. And when we do this together, we will be able to grasp a little bit more of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Yeah, we're not ever going to fully exhaust the love of Christ and praise God for that. If we could, He wouldn't be God. But together, we can get more and understand more. And the more we understand, the more we know, the more we're able to give Him our hearts, allow Him to permeate more. We will worship Him more. And the way we live, the act of worship, will influence how we behave, what type of community, what type of people we will be. Friends, the problem isn't that we don't love God enough. It's that we don't understand just how much God loves us. Ask Him. Ask Him. Get in a community. Get in a small group. And together, make this your prayer. Ask Him. 
Father, would you strengthen us through your spirit and our inner being in our hearts to let Jesus grab more of us? Would you root us and ground us in your love so that it begins to produce fruit, so that we live lives of security, secure in your love? And would you strengthen us to be able to grasp this love? And would you allow us to do it together? Would you show us how you knitted us together as one new humanity together that we would know a little bit more of this love that surpasses knowledge? God, would you do this? Would you grant that to us? Church, listen. Our greatest pursuit, our top pursuit in this life, our greatest joy and our treasure is to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. We must ask Him. We must seek it. We must put other things aside. We must put ourselves in the right environments to put ourselves in the right positions where He can get more of our hearts. That means, yes, I want to be in the Word. And yes, I want to be with the church. And yes, I want to pursue people who aren't like me to serve other people who aren't like me. Yes, I want to get into community. I want to pursue this together with other people. God, would you grant us this? We must live a life of worship. Absolutely. A life of inner agreement with God. A life of greater awareness of His presence in our lives. And listen, our cherished values of independence and self-will and determination and finding our own personal fulfillment, listen, it has to be abandoned. It has to be put away. Jesus wants to permeate everything in your life. Yes, listen, we are independent of everything except Jesus because we are dependent upon Jesus. Our fulfillment is found in who He is. That's why Jesus said, if you want to find your life, lose your life. And when you lose your life, you actually find your life. Friends, our love isn't the subject here. It's His love. We need to know more of His love. We don't need to focus on our shortcomings, our deficiencies of love for Him. Focus on His love for you, for the world, for all people, for all races, all ethnicities, all cultures. Revelation leads to worship. And as we worship Him, our theology takes shape and begins to breathe life. Listen, theology isn't just for good information and knowledge and academic high fives. No, our theology is actually to inform and to lead us to greater relationship with Jesus. A theology should be moving us to greater commitment and greater receptivity to His voice and His leading. I mean, Paul was very clear in Philippians chapter 3. He, he would say, he's like, hey, everything that I considered gain in my life, everything that I thought had value in his life, other things where I wanted people to give me high fives for in my life, things that I thought once were worthy of pursuing in my life, listen, I consider it dung. In fact, it's a fun Greek word. It, it means something else than dung. You know the word. And he does that on purpose to let people know all of it, everything else is dung except knowing Him. I want to know Him. I want to go after Him. I want to know this resurrection. I want to know this life. 
That's our greatest pursuit. And this is why Paul's praying this. He wants this church, like we see in the last verse of this letter, to love with a love that's incorruptible. Is it any wonder why we see then in Revelation 2 that this church has abandoned its love and the angel, like Jesus, had to come and say, listen, I have this against you. You forgot how much I loved you. You abandoned your first love. You're all about doing the right things and making sure you look good and prim and proper and all that other kind of stuff. You're very religious and all of that. You've abandoned your first love. And all of this is to happen so that we would be filled with the fullness of God, which means we'd be growing in maturity. And Paul wraps up in this moment of worship. Verse 20, now to him. I mean, like, just think about those three words right there. Now to him, only him, only he can be the one who can do this. Only he can answer this prayer. And there's nothing we can do to strengthen ourselves to have Jesus permeate more of our lives. There's nothing that we can do in ourselves to understand the limitless and boundless love of Jesus that surpasses all knowledge. There's nothing that we can be, nothing we can do to be filled with the fullness of God. Only him, now to him. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. To the one who has no limits. To the one where nobody can put any constraints on. To one with endless resources and endless supply of riches of grace, kindness, and glory. Now to him. He is able to do because he is at work. He is alive and well, he's not dead. He's not passive. He is able to do what we ask. He hears us. And yes, he even answers our prayers. He's able to do what we ask or think. He knows our thoughts. He knows our anxieties. He knows our worries. He knows the things that we are even too afraid to ask of him or even to tell him. Now to the one who is able to do more than all that we could ask or think. His expectations are higher than ours. His ways are greater than ours. His desires are greater than ours. His way, like He can do way more. He is able to do much more. Much more in abundance. Now to Him, to Him be glory. Be glory. He's already at work in us. He already transformed us. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we think or ask according to the power at work in us. It's already moving. It's already churning. Are you going to respond to His Spirit? Are you going to respond to His prompting? Because He wants to do this. The problem isn't God here. The problem is that we just don't care enough. We don't ask for this. Because if we were to be honest, we don't want Jesus to permeate every part of our lives. We don't. But we struggle with that because we still want control. We still want what we want. We don't want to love all people. We want to love people who are like us. We want to love people who would serve us. Like we, we, we really truly wrestle with this. We need to be praying, God, would you grant us this? 
And in that moment, you realize where you are deficient because you see His love. And then His Spirit that's already at work inside of you begins to change you. You get rooted in His love. And then the fruit of the Spirit starts to show up. And then and only then can the church be the church. That's why Paul says to him, be glory in the church. Jesus gets glory in the church when the church looks like the church that Jesus had in mind. One new humanity, a reconciled humanity, one blood, equal access to the Father. So church, we need to awaken to the love of Christ. We need to get on our knees and ask the Father to strengthen us, to give us the power to have Jesus permeate more of us, to root us and ground us in His love, to know the love that surpasses knowledge, to be filled to the fullness, to grow and mature in Him together with all people. Let's look to Him. Let's stop swinging wildly at the piñata and hope that if I hit it hard enough and I do the right things, that God will give me exactly what I'm wanting. The problem isn't that we don't love Him enough. The problem is we don't know how much He loves us. Love brings movement. Love causes things. When we know His love, when we understand it, it leads to worship. And worship leads to how we live. It leads to a certain ethic. And that's where Paul picks up next chapter. I want to encourage you today, not later, this very moment, ask the Father that He would grant you exactly what Paul prayed here. I dare you to do it. I dare you to pray that the Father would show you how much He loves you. Pray it. I guarantee you it will change your life. It will change your family. It would change the church. It would change community. It would change the city. It would flip the world upside down. Father, I pray that through your word, you would stir in us, through your spirit, the desire to pray this prayer. Instead of bringing our grocery list of items to our, the prayer table and and, and just swinging wildly and hoping that we hit it right, we do the right things, and we finally get you to respond the way we want. God, I pray that we would just stop and we would pray this, that you would grant us the strength through your Spirit, that your Son Jesus would dwell in our hearts through faith. We pray that you would grant us the ability to be rooted and grounded in your love, that you would strengthen us to grasp with all the saints, with the church, the limitless love of your son Jesus, the love that surpasses knowledge. And would you grant us the ability to grow into maturity together? Lord, may we never fail to remember who you are. Now to him, to you, you are able to do more than we can ask or imagine. And you are working inside of us. May we not forget that. Lord, give us greater receptivity in our spirits to say yes to your working. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters out there. And I ask that they would have the courage 
and the humble confidence to pray this prayer. And Lord, would you surprise them? Would you show them more of your love for them? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessings, church.